in the recent weeks, we've been going through the book of Mark. We're going through a sermon series on the book of Mark. Um, and we're asking the Holy Spirit to give us fresh eyes to see the person of Jesus Christ. I don't know if, I don't know about you guys, but I've been a Christian for long enough for me to get a little bit bored, you know, a little bit over familiar, a little bit like, eh, I've heard this story. I've heard this parable. Blah, blah, blah. And I've been Christian long enough for me to begin to gloss over scripture and as we're going through this sermon series, my prayer for myself is, man, I want to see Jesus once again. I want to see him clearly once again. I want different things to jump out at me from the pages that I haven't seen before. I want to experience Jesus in a fresh, new way. And that's my prayer for all of us here in this community as we go through the sermon series. So as we're going through uh, the book of Mark, we are looking at who this man is, what he said, what he confronted and how, what value system he seems to be operating from, how he interacted with people. And throughout this entire book, there is one burning question that we talked about last week. Do you guys remember what the question was? Okay. Okay. I've got to do a better job at preaching in a way that's memorable. This is the, this is the question. Who do you say that I am? That is a question that runs all throughout the book of Mark. We see people reacting to him in a certain way. We see sickness reacting to him in a certain way. Demons reacting to him in a certain way. We hear the voice of the father audibly twice in this book. One time it is in his baptism when he says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Second time is during in the Mount of Transfiguration where the voice of God once again comes out from the heavens and says, this is my son. Do as he says. You know, so he has heaven's endorsement, like a loudspeaker from heaven saying, this is my son. You have like demons manifesting as he's going around and uh, preaching the message and healing people. Even demons, they can't help but say, you are the son of God. This is already the second time that we've seen it in just three chapters, right? We're only three chapters deep into Mark. And all throughout this, you see food multiplying, laymen walking, sick people getting healed, blind seeing, dead rising. And in the middle of all this, in the middle of this storm of like, this is the son of God. This is not just an ordinary man. This is not just a teacher. This is not just somebody who's cool to hang out with or somebody who's really good at healing. This is the son of God in the midst of the storm of like, this is, this is a real deal. We see the disciples kind of caught in the middle. And you see them all throughout the entire book, kind of scratching their heads and seeing, like, who is this guy? Well, he doesn't seem like a normal, everyday guy. Like, uh, I thought I knew him, or I thought I heard about his family from Nazareth. Like, mm, I thought I, I knew who this guy was. But then throughout the entire book, they're asking themselves, who is this man? And this is the same question that we ought to ask ourselves as we go through this entire book. Now, everywhere Jesus sets foot, every person he meets, every word he speaks is a manifestation of a different kingdom. And last week when we ended, we talked about Jesus's invitation to every person who interacted with him, whether it was a sick person, whether it was a demonized person, whether it was a disciple that he was calling to follow him. His invitation was open to the sick, to the broken, to the hurting, to those who knew that they had need of a physician. Right. And we talked about Jesus's invitation. It um, it makes it confronts us with a choice. It confronts us with the choice 
in responding to this invitation where we have to cross over almost like a national boundary line of sorts where you're no longer where you were before. You're no longer under the authority that you were under before. You're crossing into new territory where there's new authority. There's a new author over your life. There are new values, new provision, a new way of life that he's calling us into. And that is the beautiful thing about his invitation. It requires a stepping over a line of sorts. It requires you to cross a line and submit to new authority. And the good news about this is that this kingdom that you're stepping into reflects the character, the values, the manner, the purposes of its king. So the kingdom and the king are not in like dis- disjuncted. Is that a word? Disjuncted. Uh, they, they, they are like the, the character of the kingdom flows out of the character of the king himself who rules over this kingdom. And so that is the good news. And that is what today's scripture passage in Mark talks about. We're going to be talking about the kingdom of God. So we're going to be jumping right into the parable in Mark 4. And it says, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path and the birds came and devoured it. Now other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. What does this mean? He was he who has ears to hear, let him hear. It means it's possible to be face to face with Jesus, hearing the words that are coming out of his mouth and yet not really be hearing what he's saying. It's possible to have him right there in front of you. And he's expounding on the mysteries of the kingdom. He's drawing out the riches of the knowledge of God. And at the same time, we could have no ears to hear. It's possible to receive the word of God and yet have it bear no fruit in your life. It's possible to do that. So the disciples, you know, just like any good student, they kind of waited while the crowds, you know, went away, and they waited for a private moment to be like, you know, like, yeah, we were amening when, back then when you were talking about that thing, but so what was that all about? Like, I don't really know what you're talking about. So they kind of waited, you know, until they were in private before they asked Jesus, so what did all of that mean? Like you're talking about seeds, you're talking about soil, you're talking about rocks, you're talking about birds, like what, what is going on? What did all of that mean? And so Jesus begins to explain. And so, you know, at, during every message, what the preacher usually does is like expounds on the writing. And so Jesus is doing my job today, thankfully. So he begins to explain. It starts with the sower sows the word. Then he begins to talk about four different kinds of hearers. So we were talking about, remember, he who has hears, let him hear. Now we're talking about four different kinds of hearers, four different kinds of soil. The first is the ones that are along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. Then we go into the second kind. 
This is the second kind of soil. This is the second kind of hearer. The ones who are sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. Now, the third is like one sown among the thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. And then finally, there's a fourth kind. Those who are sown on good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. Now, we need to know that Jesus is not just kind of expounding on a teaching. He's talking about hearers, right? Hearers of the word. He's saying, like, this is the kind of hearer, follower of the word, four different kinds. And he's speaking to hearers themselves. Does that make sense? So he's not, the disciples should be sitting there, not thinking like, oh, okay, that's really nice. Like, now understand what he's talking about. They should be sitting there and being like, oh, shoot, he's talking about us. Like, he's talking about me. What kind of soil am I? Am I like the rocky soil? Am I like the thorny ground? Am I like the, the, like the path where it has no root and just Satan comes and takes it away? So he's, he's confronting them with the reality of what's happening right there and then. And we today, as hearers of Jesus' words, 2,000 years later, we should also be asking ourselves, is he talking about us? What kind of hearer am I? What kind of receiver of the word am I? Are we ground along the path? Are we rocky soil? Are we thorny soil? Are we good soil? So there's different kinds of soil that we are presented with. Let's go through the four really briefly. The first, it said that it was like when seed falls on a path, right? And you hear the word and Satan immediately comes and takes away the word. Now, has this ever happened to you? Like, has this ever happened when you open up the word and you feel like God is speaking through it to you? Something as simple as you're forgiven. And it kind of, the word just like sits on the soil of your heart. And then before you know it, Satan just swoops in and takes it away. Like, this is not for you. This is for somebody else. Like, this, is, this doesn't apply to you because of your past or because of, eh, like, this doesn't apply to you. This applies to somebody else. This, is, this word is not for you. Don't let it take root. This is what Satan does with many of God's promises in our lives, right? For example, if the word says, God is enough, and then Satan comes in and swoops it away, it's like, it's, he's enough, but for other people. Like, not in your situation. Your situation's a little bit different. Like, oh, but, you know, in your case, like, I don't really know if it applies. And so this is Satan's way of stealing away the seed of the word that is supposed to take root in your heart. Now, let's look at the second type of soil. It talks about soil that is rocky, rocky soil. So in this kind of soil, what happens is you immediately receive the word with joy. You're like, amen. I love that. Yes, I am going to memorize this. I'm going to write this on the, my bathroom mirror or something. So you receive it with joy, but it is short-lived. All it takes is a little bit of tribulation. All it takes is a little bit of inconvenience. All it takes is a little bit of like, ah, it's a little bit, you know, like, meh, I don't know if this is something that I want right now. Um, 
All it takes is for tribulation or persecution or inconvenience to come. And then it is as if nothing had been planted. The word hasn't taken root. And it's as if no word, no seed had fallen there. Now, this is like uh, if you were to look at trials and persecution and testing, this is kind of like the, 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 the redemptive side of trials and tribulations. It's, it's a litmus test of sorts. You don't really know whether the word has taken root in your heart until these things come. That's when you know what the real deal is. Once it stops being convenient, once it stops being easy, once it stops kind of lining up with what you actually wanted to begin with anyway, you know, once it begins to confront your values, once it begins to confront the way that you see family or work or success or church, once it begins to challenge those things, that's when God in his mercy, he brings in this litmus test of trials, this litmus test of testing to see whether the word or the seed has dug in its roots into your soil. Now, this is the third kind. The word that takes root on thorny soil, it begins to grow, but then the cares of this world begin to suffocate it. The deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word. This is admittedly so very easy to fall into. Like, for example, mm, mm, mm. when you go through seasons where like you're super on fire for the Lord, like yeah, I'm going to be there at every meeting. I'm going to be memorizing scripture every day. And this is, this is my jam. Like this is, this is my sweet spot. And then like you meet friends like from, you know, from childhood or something like that. And you look at their life and you're like, oh, they seem to be doing pretty well for themselves. Like, oh, I guess like, you know, without the word and without going to church and without believing Jesus, like they can still make it up pretty okay. Like, oh, they seem to be like, they have like a family well put together. They have a career that seems to be taking off. There seems to be all these different things that you're like, oh shoot, I didn't realize that following Jesus had a cost. Like there was an opportunity cost there. I missed out on something else. Then all of a sudden in your heart, you're like, is, is this what I want? This is what I want. Like they, they seem to be having a lot more fun out there, you know, like maybe you know, slowly you make your way over. It's so easy for us to fall there. I feel like, especially now in our generation with this whole like social media thing where like you get to kind of like see what other people are into and what they're doing. And you're like, wow, like people's lives are awesome. Like, man, it's like 24 seven, like fun and travel and adventure and man. And then you look at your own life and you're like, uh, <laughs> I don't know. It doesn't look that exciting. Doesn't look that fulfilling anymore. And I feel like our generation more than ever before is going to be wrestling with this kind of soil where you feel like you got it down. You feel like you know who you are. You feel like you know what you believe in, but then you look over at someone else's life and you begin to like covet someone else's success, someone else's values, someone else's life. And all of a sudden these different desires, the deceitfulness of these desires, like, oh, that's, that seems to be more fulfilling than Jesus. That seems to be more satisfying than Jesus. All of a sudden, all these different desires that crowd out the word's ability to bear fruit in your life begin to creep in. And now here's the last kind of soil. It is the good soil. 
And the beauty about the good soil, the only thing that Jesus says about it, it's like really straightforward, really simple. It just says, it hears the word and accepts it. That's it. It doesn't say like, you got to fertilize it and you get, no, no. It says like, just, just, you hear the word and you accept it. This is like the kingdom of heaven, you know? It's, it's not open to the really smart, the really sharp, the really, you know, the people who know how to dig deep. No, it's like just the kingdom of heaven is open to those who have faith like a child. You just hear it, you accept it, you believe it, you allow it to take root in your life. And that's it. That's the beauty, that's the simplicity of the kingdom of God. It's open to any and everyone. You don't need to have your act together. You don't need to have a game plan. All you need to be is be good soil. You just hear the word and you accept it. And that is a relief, right? Like, it doesn't take very much to be good soil. It's very doable. You know, it's, it's very doable. You just, you just hear the word and you accept it. Now, we could, you know, we could set a record today and just end the sermon you know, at 17 minutes. That would be great. And we could end here, you know, with exhortation, what kind of soil are you? Um, and I think that would be a fairly good message, you know. I think that would be good. But we cannot end here without talking about the most essential thing about this entire parable. This is the most essential thing about the parable. And it is that it begins with the word. Now, this seems like a very obvious, like, under your nose, like, very, like, of course, you know, it starts with a word. It seems like it's, like, so obvious that we don't really need to mention it. We don't need to talk about it. But it's something that we cannot underestimate. You can have the best soil ever. You can have it, like, really, really ready for seed, really ready for, for the word to come in. But if you have no word, if you have no soil, I mean, no, no seed, what good is good soil? It's, you're not going to yield anything anyway if there is no word, if there is no seed. Now, when in, in our passage, when Jesus said the sower sows the word, it uses a Greek term logo for word. The Greek term logo, it's not the only part in the Bible where it talks about the logo, if we take a little bit of a zoom out approach to this word, we see it popping up a few books later in the gospels in John 1, 1, in the beginning was the logo. The beginning was the word. And a few verses later, and it says the word, the logo became flesh and dwelt among us. Now, we begin to suspect at this point, like, okay, we're not just talking about the written word of God. We're not just talking about the spoken word of God. We might be creeping into territory where we're talking about the living, breathing, word become flesh kind of word. This is the source. This is the origin. This is the beginning of all things. The word, the logo made flesh. The logo that was with us from the very beginning. And it's not very much of a stretch to say that the word is a seed. The word is a seed that plants itself in the ground, whether it be rocky soil, whether it be thorny soil, whether it be along the path, or whether it be good soil. The word is a seed. And this is a word that should take us back to Genesis 3.15. If you guys remember from a few sermons ago when Pastor David was talking about the proto-evangelion, do you guys remember that? 
the first mention of the gospel in the entire Bible doesn't happen with the beginning of the New Testament. It goes, it starts three chapters into the Old Testament. It talks about, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall crush your head and you shall bruise his heel. So on one level of interpretation of understanding this parable, we see, okay, it's pretty straightforward. Jesus is a sower. His words are the seed. Our hearts are the soil. It takes root. It bears fruit or it doesn't bear fruit. One of the two. But in a much more profound, in a much more, like in a deeper level, we begin to see not just Jesus as a sower and his words as a seed, but we begin to see God the Father as a sower, his son Jesus Christ being the seed sown into the ground for the redemption of many. There's one role, one purpose that a seed has. And this is like their mission statement in life. In the lifetime of a seed, this is their one mission statement. And that is to die. It needs to die. John 12, 24, it says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain, it's the same word as seed, unless a seed of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. This is a purpose statement of a seed. And this, in some ways, it summarizes a purpose statement of Jesus Christ himself. He came down, was sown into the ground. He had to let go of his life in order that many would find life. So the man that we encounter all throughout the book of of Matthew, of Mark, talks about a kingdom that is not of this world. It's not just like these neat little teachings that we're talking about of like, okay, so, okay, in my mind, I'm just going to take note. I just need to be good soil. I just need to be good soil. He's talking about something much deeper. He's inviting us into a kingdom where there's different elements at play. There's different values at play. There's a different purpose also, a different mission statement in this kingdom. In the kingdom of God, we must always remember that it starts out with a seed. There is no seed, there is no kingdom. There's no king, there's no kingdom. There's no word, there's no kingdom. This kingdom begins with a seed, the seed that is broken on our behalf, the seed that dies on our behalf, that many would find life. And it takes root in the soil. It's a kingdom that doesn't just kind of like appear in the void of nothing, it has to take root somewhere in the context of the soil of our hearts. All that it takes for the seed to take root and to grow is for us to hear and accept the seed, this word. And finally, this is the good news. After all that, after the seed, we have ingredient number one, the seed. Ingredient number two, the soil. And this is what is promised to us in the word, that there will be fruit. There will be fruit. No matter how long it takes, no matter how disappointing things might seem at times, no matter how many detours you feel like you're taking, if the word has taken root in your heart, there will be fruit. It's just a matter of time. And it won't just bear a little bit of fruit. 
It's a harvest that is 30, 60, and 100 fold, even if we don't see it right away. Now, this might seem a little bit of a, of a detour from our train of thought, but as I was reading through this, these parables, I couldn't help but think that we as people who are living here in Korea, we have the privilege or the honor of being only a few kilometers away from probably the greatest testimony of the power of the seed once it takes ground in good soil. And we're talking about North Korea. And just follow me just for a little bit. It feels like a little bit of a detour, but this has everything to do with the kingdom and it has everything to do with us as well. You know, often when the media portrays the situation in North Korea, it paints it as terrible and things are terrible. It paints it as like an outright violation of human rights. Despite of all the talks that are going on, it's still going on there. And all of that is true, and I'm not discounting any of that. But one thing that the media fails to report on is of the growing of the kingdom, even under the most dire of circumstances. Now, a couple of weeks ago, was it a couple of weeks? It was last week, actually. Last week, we had this conference called Kairos, and it was regarding reunification in North Korea, and we had different uh, North Korean defectors, different North Korean missionaries that came and, and talked. And I was so gripped by the testimony of this one lady. She was like, kind of like a really tiny lady. She was 82 years old, 82 years old. She was a Christian even while she was in North Korea and after she was smuggled out. And, you know, long story short, right now she's living here in South Korea. And she's this little lady filled with so much energy, filled with so much joy. And, like, you can imagine the things that she has gone through. And that's all part of her testimony. But in her, you see something that you don't really see in many Christians. And that is someone who just through God's faithfulness, just through that word taking root in her life, she has found a joy that many of us might never experience. Many of us, you know, have never tasted. And that is the sufficiency of Jesus Christ in the midst of the most horrendous, the most challenging circumstances. And this is what she said. She said, we need the South Korean church to pray for us, but don't just pray. You know, that persecution ends. Pray that we will be faithful. Pray that the word will continue to bear fruit. Pray that the North Korean church would continue to grow. And it is growing rapidly. One of the things that she said, like, even right now, there's hundreds of thousands of North Koreans who have clung onto the faith at the risk of losing their own lives or the lives of their family. And she was saying, even today, there's 30,000 believers in Jesus Christ who are remaining faithful in concentration camps today. So let's take a moment just to allow our minds to wrap around that fact. If we hear of a people that will cling on to something no matter how much it costs. And even if their worship services are not in a worship hall like this, it is in a concentration camp somewhere. Their songs are probably not accompanied with instruments. Their songs are probably whispered, you know, maybe not even whispered. 
their Bibles, Bibles that we take for granted so often, their Bibles have to be written in their hearts. If they get caught with a physical copy of the Bible, they'll get executed. So you start seeing people who are living under a very different kingdom than the kingdom of this world. People who have very different values. People who have a very different allegiance to a different king. And it's not just that these people are very courageous, which they are. It's not just that these people have like crazy resilience and, you know, grit. But it's also that the word, the seed has taken root and it can't help but bear fruit. It can't help but multiply 30, 60, and 100 fold. There is no kingdom of this world. There's no president. There's no dictator that could quench the life that is in the seed. So I was just like so blown away by this testimony. Because sometimes I feel like in my weak faith, like, man, if on a day like today, like if we didn't have everything that we have, it was a little bit uncomfortable. I don't know if I would make it. Like, I don't know if I would come out to church. Imagine like, you know, our elevator is a little bit, you know, precarious right now but imagine we had no ac today like mm, like that is a test of faith right how many of us would come out to church today if we had no ac or if we weren't on fifth floor but we were like on 10th floor and we had you know the elevator we had no elevator like once things begin to get a little bit inconvenient or a little bit uncomfortable sometimes i wonder like how good is the soil in my heart you know, is it, is it just waiting for inconvenience big enough where I'm like, oh, actually, like, nah, I don't know about that anymore. Or is it really good soil? Is it a seed that has been planted in my heart that no inconvenience, nothing that the government can do, nothing that history can happen, or nothing in my life circumstance, nothing in my family circumstances, my workplace circumstances, like nothing can shake Nothing can quench the life of the seed that has taken root in my heart. Isn't that where we want to be? Not just good soil, but soil that trusts that the seed will do its work. Soil that knows that as long as it hits good soil, there's no way that the seed will not bear fruit. There's no way that the seed won't accomplish everything that it's set out to do. Now, a few verses later in the same chapter, Jesus closes with just one more parable. It says, with what can we compare the kingdom of God or what parallel shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests and shade. Something as small as a mustard seed can land you somewhere. You never thought, you never imagined what it would look like. Sometimes we don't see the results right away. Sometimes we doubt and we wonder as we wait, we grow impatient. We wonder if anything's happening. We wonder if there's anything happening under the ground. But the Bible promises us that the word the seed that was sown will bear much fruit. 
The Bible also promises us that there will be a day when we see it in its full glory, in its unveiled manifestation. There will be a day when there will be a king on this earth who will ruin, rule with righteousness, rule with mercy, rule with compassion. There'll be a day when there's no longer any pain, any tears, no longer any injustice. There's a day when we will see exactly what kind of tree this seed will bear fruit in. And when we look at that, we have to remind ourselves that it started somewhere very humble. It started just the very, very small seed. This is what a, a seed of a mustard mustard tree looks like to almost like if you were to breathe on it it would just fall right that small it begins with something so humble as a man who lived his life righteously and died a death for the unrighteous that through his death and through his resurrection many would have life Many would encounter the Father. Many would taste a grace that we thought we would never have access to. Many of us never imagined that there would be such joy on the other side. There'd be such satisfaction. There'd be such sufficiency on the other side. So let me close with this for today. Last week, we ended by saying, sometimes our problem as believers, it isn't that we don't believe hard enough. It's not just a matter of our, our faith. Like, we got to just try harder to believe. Just, just, just like, clench our fists and grit our teeth and, like, just, just believe, you know? Sometimes we feel like that's our problem when in reality, perhaps, it is that we don't see clearly the object of our faith. The object of our faith is Jesus Christ who is unfailing, who has all power, all knowledge, all understanding. He is faithful. He will not leave you nor forsake you. He's one who sees everything, the good and the bad, and he still calls you your own. This is someone that is worthy of a life lived, poured out. Somebody who's worthy of worship. Somebody who's worthy of allegiance and sacrifice. Religion doesn't work by telling people to try harder. I mean, well, actually, religion does. But faith doesn't work by just trying harder. Perhaps in this juncture of our journey, all we are being asked to do by God is just fix your eyes on Jesus. See how worthy, see how steadfast, how trustworthy he is. And faith won't be an issue. There's no king like Jesus. There's no God like Jesus. Let's take a moment to pray.